0: I'd like to welcome you all to Ananda. My name is Ananta. This is my wife Maria. We're very glad you could join us. We have guests from the Expanding Light. We have online part of our family, and um, it's a great um, joy to um, join in a Sunday service with you all, meditating and feeling the divine presence. It uh, adds a lot to the service. I'd like to read from. Um, Rays of the One Light, which is a book uh, Kriyananda wrote uh, with parallel passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. And this week's um, topic is reason versus intuition. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus, when addressing his critics, Appeal to reason and common sense. In his training of the disciples, however, he, like all great masters, encouraged in them the development of a higher faculty, soul intuition. For it is only by intuition that spiritual perceptions are achieved. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, we find Jesus drawing on the intuition of his disciples by asking them who they thought he was in reality. They immediately understood that what he wanted from them was a subtle answer, not some obvious reply based on his nationality, sex and the like. Peter it was, at last, who understood and answered the question on its intended level, the spiritual. Thou art the Christ, he said, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him saying, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for not by human nature was this truth revealed to thee, but by my heavenly Father. And I tell thee also this, thou art Peter, which is to say a rock, and upon this rock will I build my church, and never will the powers of darkness overwhelm it. Jesus was pleased with his disciple for relating to the question on its deepest level, reason could not have given Peter that answer. The answer came through the faculty of soul intuition and proved him thereby to be a spiritually advanced disciple. It was his intuitive perception, that insight which cannot be shaken by tempests of reasonable doubt, that Jesus praised in referring to him as a rock. The church he referred to next was the edifice of cosmic consciousness. Any outer church institution would have to depend, as in fact the Christian churches have always done, on the level of understanding of its individual leaders and members. Peter's intuitive perceptions could never have been passed on to an outward succession of prelates. Clarity comes by direct soul perception. Confusion results from excessive dependence on reason as the guide to understanding. As the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, when your intellect, at present confused by the diversity of teachings in the scriptures, becomes steadfast in the ecstasy of deep meditation, then you will achieve final union with God. Thus, through holy scriptures, God has spoken to mankind.
1: I'd like to begin with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is called The Salutation to the Great Preceptor. Bearing the bliss of Brahma, Happiness supreme, wearing the image of wisdom, beyond the dispute of any qualities, free as the limitless sky, knower of all there is to be known, thou perennial, taintless one, witness of all happenings beyond all conceptions, boundaries, uncolored by good, bad, and active qualities. My ever-awake preceptor, I bow to thee. I especially love this. Passage in the Bible that Ananta just read. I oftentimes, when I hear it, I like to feel myself, if you will, in Peter's shoes, hopefully saying the right words, but more importantly, having the inner understanding, the fullness of meaning that he was able to convey, that he lived through his discipleship. This reading highlights two very important questions. For all of us, on what level do we understand the master? On what level do we understand the spiritual teacher? And what is our level of understanding? Um, What is our level of receptivity through that understanding to the master, to the teacher? Very important questions. And really, these questions, if we think about it, Are brought to the fore every moment of our waking lives and everything we do this is what's really going on what is our relationship with that higher consciousness and to what extent are we able to receive that we are like Peter really we are true true, uh, seekers of truth We yearn for truth. We yearn for higher understanding. We, like him, live in a very diverse world. A lot of different perceptions and points of view about what is going on, what is real, what is not real. We're subject to many opinions, varied opinions, many political and religious orientations. And what was unique in Peter was that ability to, in that moment, stand strong in his highest self through the faculty of intuition, that he was able to answer correctly by what he perceived inwardly, not by what other people thought, not by what he was told, not just for the sake of being contrary. He really knew it. He understood it. He was able to say to Jesus, Thou art the Son Of the living God and that was his experience that's what he knew inwardly most people didn't understand who Jesus was you know maybe they thought he gave a good sermon or that he was wise or certainly a good person to be admired but they didn't get that he was God realized they didn't get that he was an avatar and the same is true for Yogananda most people didn't have a clue who he was. Swamiji, oftentimes, uh, he shares someone, I don't know who it was, but someone came away from an introduction and experience with Yogananda and said, he's a great cook. (laughs) That's just how they understood. And Yogananda loved to cook. He was probably at a meal where Yogananda was making Indian foods and curries. And You know, history has it that they were delicious and he was a fantastic cook. But most people just didn't get on a deeper level who he was. Even, you know, a great philosopher, a great educator, all of this. um, A man uh, very noble of great ideas. But they didn't understand or experience him, again, as a God-realized being, as an avatar We live in an interesting time because none of us have ever had the experience of being with Yogananda in a physical body. And many of you and people from this point forward, not only will they not have that experience, but they won't at all know physically Swami Kriyananda. And yet we have recordings and film clips, a handful of them of Yogananda. We have countless uh, videos talk tapes, etc. of Kriyananda, but still even with all of that it has to move through, travel through the filter of our own perception. And how clear is that? How crystal clear is that? What can we really glean from all of this? Because the tapes and the movies and the voice, it's, it's, it's outward It's outward, but it does have another level. And are we able to touch that? Are we able to reach that? Are we able to really be close to the consciousness of the Great Ones? I wanted to read a passage from Autobiography of a Yogi. This is Yogananda speaking. A couple of paragraphs, actually. And Yogananda says... I always thrilled at the touch of Sri Yukteswar's holy feet. Yogis teach that a disciple is spiritually magnetized by reverent contact with a master. A subtle current is generated. The devotee's undesirable habit mechanisms in the brain are often cauterized the groove of his worldly tendencies beneficially disturbed. Momentarily at least, he may find the secret veils of maya lifting and glimpse the reality of bliss. My whole body responded with a liberating glow whenever I knelt in Indian fashion before my guru. Even when Lahiri Mahashai was silent, Master told me, or when he conversed on other than strictly religious topics, I discovered that nonetheless he had transmitted to me ineffable knowledge. Sri Yukteswar affected me similarly. If I entered the hermitage in a worried or an indifferent frame of mind, My attitude imperceptibly changed. A healing calm descended at mere sight of my guru. I wanted to read this because again, although Yogananda was speaking of that physical proximity to his guru, of Yukteswar's physical proximity to Lahiri, they were speaking about proximity of consciousness. That's what they were experiencing. That's what they were responding to. Swami Kriyananda has oftentimes said, in our associations with others, our gains and our losses, if, if, it, if it happens to be, are largely the consequence of magnetism, a shared magnetism. So again, how do we relate, in what way do we relate to the Master, in what way do we receive? Swami Kriyananda tells of his first meeting with Yogananda. And at a certain point, Yogananda asks him, have you read my autobiography of a yogi? Have you read my autobiography? And Swami Kriyananda then The young Donald Walters responds and he says, yes, I've read it. And Yogananda says, did you like it? And Swamiji says, yes. And Yogananda says, that's because my vibrations are in it. And it caught Swamiji's attention at that moment. He realized that in fact that's what he had been responding to that was the inherent power in the book and through the words and through the story of Yogananda's life vibrations he was responding to vibrations he came across the country because of those vibrations he felt through that book and through those words and he dedicated himself from that first meeting in discipleship but to tuning in to those vibrations, trying to tune in to the vibrations of consciousness of his guru, of the master. In those early days, Swamiji spent time with Yogananda out at 29 palms in the desert, not far from the hermitage where Yogananda was writing commentary on the Gita. And this was a very difficult task Swamiji he was I mean there he was in the master's presence what couldn't be better than that but he struggled he struggled and he brought with him in this incarnation a semblance of doubt and he would hear Yogananda expound on the teachings and Yogananda would do that in an what is an Indian uh, fashion if you will he would talk about it from a certain point of view and that would rest for a moment and then he would blow that picture up and expand it and he would talk about the same point from yet another perspective. And Swamiji, not being used to this way of teaching, teaching was at somewhat of a loss and he would stumble on it and he would catch himself thinking, doesn't, doesn't he know what he's talking about? Can he be clear? And the next day, Yogananda, uh, when Yogananda saw him, he just kind of lowered his gaze and leveled it right at Kriyananda's eyes and he said, Don't doubt God. And Swamiji, you know, Walters he said, Sir, I don't doubt God, and just nothing more. And but he started to, again, he started to tune in. He started to tune in to that consciousness. And the next day when Yogananda saw him, he again looked at him very, with a piercing gaze, didn't say anything. But Swamiji realized that he was en route to moving through that doubt, that it was being dispelled through the grace of his guru, because he was, he was, he was right, he was tuning in. He wanted to understand, he wanted to know, he wanted to experience that vibration of consciousness that was within and beyond the words. In uh, the life of Gyanamata, Mata, Yogananda's foremost woman disciple, she would oftentimes describe herself, she said, I consider myself a storage battery for his vibrations. She was speaking of Yogananda, a marvelous analogy. If you can imagine, just every atom, every cell charged with that divine awareness of who he really was. And they lived with him day in and day out. And, you know, these personalities, they are are what they are and they can be confusing. It's like it's just trying to move through this minefield of maya. You know, you see one thing, you hear a certain intonation, you get a certain look, and all of that has to come through the filter of our consciousness, and at best it's cloudy. It's not clear. And to hold that consciousness, I'm a storage battery for his vibration. For as consciousness, to think of ourselves in that way, not as the outward physical form, not as the physical incarnation with certain problems and certain ideas and certain things that we've come into this life with or garnered from this life, but we're a storage battery for higher consciousness. We're a storage battery for the consciousness of our Guru as much as we want to be. Uh, another of yogananda's disciples dr lewis uh, diksha told a marvelous story last week at sunday service of his meeting with yogananda but there was a part at the end it wasn't so relevant perhaps to the topic but it is now and yogananda asked dr lewis you know they've he's blessed him with this experience and higher consciousness this vision of the spiritual eye and then he says to Dr. Lewis, promise me, doctor, that you will never avoid me. Dr. Lewis didn't know what to make of it. Of course I won't avoid you. Why would I avoid you? Why would I avoid you? But Dr. Lewis said later, I, if I had known how hard that would sometimes be to face the guru, to look at the guru, to look at that higher consciousness when we want to nurture our little problem or our little, you know, issue or whatever it is that causes us to be unwilling, that causes us to not look into the mirror. But that's, that's what Jesus was asking of Peter. You know, who do you say that I am? How deeply are you willing to go with this? And that was the greatness of that disciple, and it 's why this exchange has been immortalized because Peter lived in the in that knowing that intuitive knowing of who the master really was, and that's what Yogananda was asking of Dr. Lewis. you know promise me that you won't ever avoid me, that you'll always look onto this world onto Things from that intuitive point of awareness, from that intuitive knowledge within your own self, extremely important, all-important, to the disciple. A student asked Yogananda once, "How is it that Rajasi has been able to advance so quickly?" And Yogananda simply said, "He listens. He listens. Again, he tries to be in tune with that vibration. There's another very important aspect in this in this process of being aware of that consciousness, and that is the aspect of giving, giving of ourselves completely, totally to this higher consciousness that's coming through the masters, that's coming through the Great Ones. Swamiji, one time, again, early on in his time with Master, Yogananda asked him to organize the monastery and to lead the monks. And this meant that he was receiving applications to live in the monastery, asking, you know, I want to come, can I live there, can I be there? And Swamiji, you know, he was so dedicated to the path And if someone was interested, of course, he wanted them to have that experience he was having. And so he would read these applications. And there were some, you know, that clearly they weren't ready. But others, he thought genuinely that they were ready. And they expressed such yearning, such desire to be there, just as he had felt. And what a neophyte. I mean, he had heard of nothing before he read the autobiography, got on the bus, came across the country. So if someone just read the autobiography or heard a lesson or even heard of Yogananda and really wanted to be there, he could resonate with that. And after accepting a couple of uh, would-be monastics and having them come and, and not, uh, uh, well, just not really quite the ready or willing or even wanting to be, I didn't know it was that, you know, so they get there and it just doesn't work out. And Yogananda, after a couple of instances like this, said to Kriyananda, I'm going to have to give you intuition. <laughs> you know, just forget it. I'm going to give you intuition. But but the other part of that is that Kriyananda was in tune. And he was ready for that. All he was wanting was what he got himself just to help others be close to that vibration, have that spiritual opportunity. He didn't want anything more than to help his master, his guru's mission, his work. And so that sincerity, that giving of himself in all ways, holding back nothing, was what magnetized his you know, that exchange between him and Yogananda, that (laughs) Yogananda could say, I'll have to give you intuition and give it. You know, it's not just that we need something or have done something wrong or don't do it well or don't have a talent, that these things come. It needs to be reciprocal. It's all important. I remember in the early days, uh, earlier time at least of my time here at Ananda, it was the early 80s, and Swami Kriyananda had... uh, decided one summer that he was going to give classes at his home in what is now the Crystal Hermitage Dome um, a few days a week. And this was gonna occur over the course of the summer. And uh, he invited and encouraged us all to come as a community. And uh, I don't know about everyone else, but we had to jump over a lot of hurdles to do that. Um, Plants needed to be watered, couldn't dry out. Uh, you know, just on and on. We were serving on the farm at the time. And so, you know, there were obstacles on all levels, the physical, the inner, of course. And uh, here we were, you know, these classes, gosh, three days a week plus weekends at Sunday service. And, and what was Swamiji doing? Was he just... Mm-hmm into teaching was he in a teaching mode was this for posterity was he trying to make tapes and sell them through crystal clarity I mean you could come up with all kinds of different reasons about why this was going on perhaps why we needed to be there but what was really happening was he was pulling together the whole community in this dynamic exchange of vibration centered in truth centered in master and it was incredibly profound Uh, you know, what it did for the community, what it did for us as a uh, spiritual family, this reciprocal exchange. We can't understand the consciousness of Swamiji, our spiritual teacher, of the masters, of any of our gurus, unless we bring to that instance all the energy that we can bring to bear and hope that maybe we get up to that level on which they resonate. Upon and we will. I mean, just putting out that energy, they they're there for us. They'll lift us the rest of that way. When when uh, Anant and I were in Sacramento for many years as colony leaders there, Swamiji came down to bless the expansion of the East West Bookstore that we had there at the time. It's no longer in existence, but it was for about twelve years. And he came down to give a blessing and give the service for Palm Sunday. And our center at the time was not going to hold the capacity of of all that we hoped would come. And we held it in the courtyard adjacent to the bookstore. And there were 350 people plus. It was packed. And I remember sitting there um, in the front row because we were the assistant blessers. And Swamiji was giving the service. And he was talking about Palm Sunday And I was very conscious of two very distinct levels of reality going on simultaneously. And it was Swamiji giving this incredible talk about the meaning of Palm Sunday, and one part of me was going, I hope someone's recording this, I hope the recording is working, because that was always a question. We were outdoors, and it was really windy, and the vase flew over and crashed and broke on the ground. and I mean, just all this, you know, outer commotion. And I just feeling like, oh, I want to write it down, I want to write it down. And then there was this whole other level of reality that was, it was electric. I mean, the atmosphere was just electrified. It was vibrating everywhere intensely. And it didn't have anything to do with what he was saying. It didn't matter if you heard it or not. If you were just there energetically giving to that situation, it it was incredible. And I've experienced that a number of times. I've seen it with Joe and Davy. I remember a talk that they gave here in the early 90s. Again, we were in Sacramento, and it, we were giving classes. We couldn't come up. It was a series on how to build community, and they were talking about right attitude. So we didn't get to come. I'm listening to it on a tape, little cassette tape, a talk at a satsang. It was otherworldly. I don't know what they said. <laughs> but it was the exchange of magnetism, the exchange of consciousness was such a blessing, such a grace. And so to just be present is not enough, but to be present with our energy, to give to the things that are going on. It's what you give at a service like this. I can't tell you. I was telling someone the other day, the energy up here. You know, of course it's our gurus, it's Swamiji, but what you bring to Sunday service, what you all bring to satsang of such openness, such receptivity, it really makes for a shared dynamic experience in God. It's incredibly powerful. And the more we live through our intuition, the more we live through that consciousness within our own selves what we find is that door after door after door keeps opening and more and more of that consciousness as Ananta was saying earlier in the ceremonies is available to us comes to us flows through us and we are that we are that and we are that to one another